0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello everyone, I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Pamela Hamilton about her debut novel, Lady Be Good, The Life and Times of Dorothy Hale. As we slowly emerge from the coronavirus pandemic, rumors are already circulating that we may head into another Roaring Twenties a time that also followed a fast-moving and devastating influenza epidemic, as well as the First World War. But what was life in the 1920s and 1930s actually like? Only a few of us are old enough to remember those times, but Pamela Hamilton brings them back to life. Her story starts, in effect, at its ending. Dorothy Hale stood at the window, 16 floors above Central Park South, surrounding her with souvenirs from her family and friends, her Broadway shows and movie roles, but they were of no comfort to her now. Nor was the warm October breeze or golden colors of sunrise. She was trembling with fear. Looking out at the city lights in the distance, the emerald crown of the Carlisle Hotel reached upward in the eastern sky. The American flag at the north end of the park hung motionless. She felt the world was moving in slow motion. At 6.15 a.m., she balanced precariously at the open window in her silver high-heeled shoes, and in a terrifying last moment, her thoughts turned to her late husband and to prayer as she tumbled out into the sky under a blanket of rolling clouds. At 6.16 a.m., moments before O'Brien, the milkman, arrived at the Hampshire house, a loud thump caught the attention of the building's accountant, Thomas Conroy, He dashed outside and found Dorothy on the cement sidewalk, face up. Tied around her neck was a black velvet ribbon with the Florentine-Victorian pendant Gardner had given her during their first year of marriage. Dorothy often recounted what he had said as he wrapped his arms around her to tie the ribbon. We will never miss a sunset together. Jusqu'à la fin des temps, mon amour. Until the end of time, my love. And now, please join me in welcoming Pamela Hamilton. Hi, Pamela. I look forward to talking with you today.
1: Thank you. Likewise. You had
0: a remarkable career even before you started work on Lady Be Good in broadcast journalism, filmmaking, publishing, and more. Uh, Fill us in, please, on that part of your
1: life. Thank you. Uh, Yes, I've always been a storyteller in some fashion. Early in my career, I was a producer for NBC News. I was on staff for more than a decade, covering everything from politics and breaking news to entertainment, beauty, human interest stories. So one week I would be covering a story on domestic terrorism or a natural disaster, and the next week I would be on a, a gator hunt in the Everglades or interviewing Carly Simon at her apartment in New York. And that job kind of was really my first love. I was always on deadline, little sleep, no set hours, but... Infinitely interesting, and then I was approached by a director to co-produce a documentary on Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead, and I signed on. I always enjoy doing longer form stories that go more in depth on the subject, and the documentary was an opportunity to go further, and it did very well, it won an uh, an award at a film festival, and more recently I worked for a publishing house where I did book publicity. And I really enjoyed launching people's stories into the world. So for me, it's always been about thoughtful storytelling that shines new light on a subject and hopefully will appeal to a broad audience.
0: And when did you add writing fiction to the mix and why? Is Lady Be Good the
1: first novel that you wrote? Lady Be Good is my first novel. I I didn't set out to become a novelist. I was driven by the need to tell this story. I started dabbling in fiction about 15 or 20 years ago. With my background in TV and film, I was inclined to write the story for the screen. So I started writing a screenplay. And when I came back to it years later, I, I did more research and I had a tremendous amount of research and decided a book would be the better place to start. And it it took time to lose the, the journalist style of writing. Um, but I absolutely fell in love with writing historical fiction.
0: That's interesting because my own story is very similar. I didn't set out to be a novelist either, but I wanted to tell this story uh, fictionally. And and again, it took me a long time to, in my case, get rid of the
1: historian writing
0: and, <laughs> and actually it tell does. a story. It yes, does. Yes, yeah, it
1: does. It's just completely different. Completely. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: So what drew you to the story of Dorothy Hale, and why tell it as a novel?
1: I first heard of Dorothy Hale when I stayed at the Hampshire house. It's the building featured in the Frida Kahlo portrait of her. It's a building where Dorothy lived and died. I read an article about her and thought it had all the elements of a great story. Romance, heartbreak, high times, a mysterious, de- a mysterious death. She was an intriguing woman, surrounded by the iconic figures of the time. But what drew me in were the inconsistencies in the account and the tidy storyline. Glamour girl commits suicide over a broken heart and fading career. I mean, it would only be said of a woman. I was also surprised at the tone of the article and the simple explanation for why she took her own life, as indeed she did. I mean, can we ever really know that about anyone? When I started research, I, I didn't intend on writing a book. I just wanted to find out what happened. And it turned out to be an adventure, learning about Dorothy, her friends. And their experiences seemed to define the era. It was such great fun uh, and vastly different from what one might expect reading about her in the papers today. And then the more I uncovered, the more I felt I needed to share her story, It just seemed like the right thing to do. And writing a fictionalized biography, it enabled me to present the facts, the conclusions I drew from research, and an intimate picture of Dorothy without misleading the reader, which I suppose could happen with creative nonfiction. And, you know, I was struck by its relevance. This this is Dorothy Hale's story, but it's our story too. It can happen to any one of us in this era of, tabloid-style journalism, and social media takedowns.
0: Yes, I think that's very true, and, and it does give us an immediate connection uh, to the novel. Uh, as you mentioned, the, what interested you was, was um, or where you started on your journey maybe, because that's probably not what interested you most, but um, you start with her death, and in the novel too you start with her death. Why, why begin the novel there as a writer?
1: Yeah, it, it seemed like the natural place to begin, because that's what she's famous for. And it brings the Frida Kahlo portrait to life. I mean, it, it also builds tension, right? And it gives the reader a different perspective from which to view the, the characters and events.
0: So from the beginning, you so doubts that the accepted version, um, which is replicated with a kind of uncanny perfection on Wikipedia, if you look up Dorothy's name is accurate. Um, Obviously, you're building tension here, too. Um, But tell us what the accepted version is and what are the hints that you lay out right in the opening? Because obviously, we don't want spoilers.
1: Yes, uncanny perfection, exactly. Almost like it was crafted by a master storyteller. And when when I see headlines that say, the sad, tragic life of Dorothy Hale, I just think, no, 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 you have it all wrong. And the standard story about her is that she, she was a hapless, tragic beauty who was jilted by her fiancé, President Roosevelt's closest advisor. And after a lifetime of bad luck, she had a fading career and no money. So she jumped from the window of her suite at the Hampshire House. And there are other details in this standard story that are in my book. And that narrative is, is well-crafted and very tidy. And I I don't think anyone who's written about her has taken the time to see if the story is accurate. And the way the story unfolds after her death and even leading up to it is astonishing. Uh, That part of the research seized my attention. I, I hint in the opening chapter that perhaps there was foul play and perhaps the press got the story wrong and perhaps that had something to do with Roosevelt's men. And, and Lady Be Good reveals what happened. Most of it, most of it is true.
0: Okay, so uh, we go from that opening scene uh, to meet a modern-day woman uh, of 25 who's signing papers on a central park apartment. Uh, who is she, and what role does she play in your book? Why include her?
1: Yes, Miss Harrison. Uh, she's the narrator. She is a young journalist who moves into the Hampshire house and feels incredibly fortunate. It's luxurious. It has an old world charm. But soon she senses something happened there a long time ago. And she finds out about Dorothy Hale, who lived and died there. And she is struck by the inconsistencies in the account. Does this sound familiar? Um, (laughs) So she's you, (laughs) basically, which is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) She sees that One sentence contradicted the next. Quotes were clearly contrived. And she thinks the reason for her alleged demise would only be said of a woman, an unsurprising lock, stock, and barrel cliché that was an affront to any female, to be sure. I mean, she died of a broken heart and a fading career. So she's determined to find out the truth. In order to do that, she needs to learn everything possible about Dorothy, who were her friends, what were her circumstances, and what led up to that night. And I included her because I wanted to stay as close to the real story as possible. And there's a key part that happens decades after Dorothy dies that just had to be included.
0: So we flip back then to 1923, when a very young Dorothy is dancing for the Ziegfeld Follies. Uh, I'm assuming that most of my listeners know something about the Ziegfeld Follies, but... uh, For those who may not, because we do have an international audience, uh, tell us about them and what Dorothy is doing there and also what she's left behind.
1: The Follies was an elaborate show on Broadway that featured many stars and gorgeous chorus girls dressed in provocative, extravagant costumes with enormous headdresses, just eye-popping. And it was a place to be discovered by Hollywood agents or wealthy men. But showgirls, theater people, were looked down upon, particularly by those in the upper echelons of society. It was absolutely unacceptable for a well-bred girl to become a showgirl. Dorothy was from Pittsburgh Society and educated at a convent school. She's a bit rebellious. She breaks all the rules to chase her dreams, regardless of the consequences. Becoming a Ziegfeld showgirl is, for her, a a stepping stone to a career on Broadway.
0: And how would you describe Dorothy as a personality? By which I mean, how do you see her independently of any historical accounts of her life, especially the ones on Wikipedia?
1: (laughs) I see Dorothy as a smart, sophisticated, witty, determined, adventurous, woman with a lot of talent and she's the kind of friend we'd all like to have understanding loyal trusting and maybe too trusting maybe tragically loyal and you know it was said she was more beautiful than the young elizabeth taylor um well she is a a she was a remarkable beauty who embraces and enjoys all the trappings of her god-given gifts and very privileged life she has soul and purpose and modesty and she was featured in the newspapers and in vogue magazine she was high profile but i see her as a, a private person and she takes some hard punches in life as most of us do and uh, tries to overcome them with grace so
0: in december 1924 she um debuts on Broadway, meaning independently of the the Ziegfeld Follies. Uh, And she's dancing with Fred Astaire, whom I'm sure everybody knows, uh, in a show called Lady Be Good. How does this opportunity work out for her, and what makes it the right image for your title?
1: Lady Be Good was a huge hit on Broadway. And when she gets the role, her dreams come true. She fulfills her wish. She is a lucky girl. And ultimately, the job ends badly, but... It's better to realize your dream for only a moment than never at all. And I like that. I also like the title because it can be interpreted in different ways. One might be that women were told at that time to be good, stay in their place. And she was good. She was dignified. But she defied tradition to follow her dream and live life on her own terms. And I think that captures the spirit of the 20s for women. Even in this first chapter,
0: we meet a number of her friends uh, who will remain with Dorothy throughout her life. Um, Wallace Harrington, Maggie Case, Jane Kendall, and in particular, Claire Booth Brokaw, um, better known to modern listeners by the name of her second husband as Claire Booth Luce, to name a few. So give us just an overview of these figures, their importance for Dorothy, And to the extent that you can, in a short answer, their personalities.
1: Wallace Harrington is an eccentric heir who is obsessed with Dorothy. He has an insatiable need for admiration, which eludes him because of his odd personality. He seems to think the stories he tells himself are real. Dorothy finds him somewhat disturbing. Uh, And she has a group of close girlfriends. Maggie Case really looks out for Dorothy. Maggie is quite proper and Kurdish and lovely. And she, she isn't particularly glamorous, but as an editor for Vogue, she's a style setter and she's influential. Jane Kendall is an old friend of Dorothy's. She is an athletic, all-American, golden hair debutante with a taste for adventure and mischief. She has an affair with Ernest Hemingway that uh, <laughs> ends badly. And at the heart of the novel is the close and stormy friendship, between Claire, both lewis and Dorothy. Claire is as beautiful as she is brilliant. She has an angelic look, a biting sense of humor. She's quite opinionated and blunt. Some would say insensitive. And she can't help but tell tall tales. And Dorothy is forgiving. She understands Claire in a way that others don't and knows that she has her best interests at heart. And what Claire wants, what she's driven by, is money, power, and fame. And she gets it by marrying a wealthy man, landing a job as managing editor of Vanity Fair, and writing a Broadway show, a hit Broadway show. So She's a masterful storyteller with a clever wit and writes satires about the people she knows, like the, the women of high society, who she thinks are vacuous, arrogant, backstabbing gossip. But she loves Dorothy and admires her talent, intellect, and beauty, But uh, it does spark her competitive nature, and Dorothy's legacy is basically in her hands. Also
0: present at the post-opening party, which is where we first meet these friends that you've just described, uh, is, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Galliard Thomas? I think it's it's Galliard Thomas, yes. Who is he, and what brings him and Dorothy together?
1: On opening night of Lady Be Good, there's an after-party at the St. Regis Hotel, and He's struck by her beauty and elegance as she dances with Fred Astaire and all eyes are on her. And he finally introduces himself, and he's handsome, charming, interested, wealthy. You know, his father was a a prominent doctor who helped establish the Hamptons as a summer retreat. But they both have everything but someone to love, and she's quite taken by him. She overlooks the red flags during courtship, as, uh, as one does. And different aspects uh, of his personality come to light later on.
0: Uh, even before this point, in fact, right at the beginning almost, you introduce um, Ma- Maury Paul, uh, who's often called Cholly after his pen name. And he is definitely a major figure, although uh, somewhat ambi- ambivalent one, ambiguous one. I mean, he's not ambivalent, but... <laughs> But we are ambivalent no, no, about him. Not ambivalent. <laughs> What's his story, especially his role
1: uh, in Dorothy's life? Yeah, Telly Knickerbocker, a famous flamboyant gossip columnist who writes about socialites. And the simple stroke of his pen can raise one to the apex of the good life as easily as it can destroy a name. And many women ingratiate themselves to Charlie, hoping for good coverage. I mean, their public image is in his hands. And to give you a sense of what they were up against, Time magazine wrote in his obituary Fat vain little Maury Paul coined the phrase cafe society and made a fat living insulting it. And he adores Dorothy, but ultimately, he can't help himself. He's really quite shameless and does something that has a, a profound effect on her life.
0: So when we meet Dorothy, she's dancing, as we've mentioned, um, and then, but then she's forced to change her goals. Uh, what happens?
1: She has an accident and is told she will never dance again, just like that, in a blank. Her dreams are taken away and it's, it's a devastating moment.
0: It must have been, I mean, she really loves dancing. Yes. Yeah. She does, however, make, she still has goals of her own, and one of these brings her into contact with some Samuel Goldwyn of Metro Goldwyn Mayer Fair later, um, and he invites her to do a screen test in Hollywood, uh, which goes quite well. But then, what happens after that?
1: Yeah, Sam Goldwyn offers Dorothy a movie contract and gives her a leading role, playing opposite Ronald Colman. Coleman, who is is a big star. And the screen test goes beautifully. She has natural talent. Hollywood reporters say she's the next star of the silver screen. And Goldwyn is pleased. But before filming begins, he hires a team of acting coaches for her. And they're all telling her different things. There's a lot to keep track of. And it changes everything. And uh, let's just say things do not go as planned during filming.
0: Which is why we know Elizabeth Taylor and not Dorothy Hale, poor thing. (laughs) that's right. (laughs) So she then studies art and sculpture, uh, which brings her into contact with Gardner Hale, uh, her great love. Um, Tell us about him and that part of her life.
1: Uh, Gardner Hale, tall, dark, handsome, loving, Harvard-educated, His family's in the social register. Well, actually, he was kicked out of Harvard for a spell. He had a bit of a playful streak. Uh, He was a brilliant, brilliant muralist, world-renowned. He did a a wonderful mural in the Chrysler Building. And, you know, he was actually the first artist to reside in Greenwich Village. The New York Times wrote about it when he moved in. I find that so interesting. Um, But he's grounding for Dorothy. He's encouraging. He's supportive of her interests. So this is an extraordinary part of her life. They travel. They're the toast of the town. She manages his very successful career. And they're madly in love. I mean, it's a real love story.
0: These Let's talk a little bit about the more general environment in which these people are living in. Um, to be blunt, they do a lot of partying. Um, but they're also, you know, they're involved in the Algonquin sets and they're... They do things. They're they're poets and playwrights and magazine editors and so on. So um, tell us a bit about the world that Dorothy inhabits and her place in it.
1: Yes, uh, they they it's it's an it's an amazing world, cafe society, and uh, they do spend quite a lot of time time uh, partying. Uh, this is the Gatsby era. It's an extravagant era of galas, grand balls jazz clubs, and speakeasies. And it's also a golden era of creativity. I mean, The tone and style of Vogue and Vanity Fair magazines are set. Claire's husband founded Time and Life magazines. It's when some of the great writers and artists were introduced to the public. Claire did this when she ran Vanity Fair. And like today, they covered politics, the arts, fashion, socialites. Socialites were the celebrities of the day. And in Café Society, they all come together, and Dorothy is at its center. She's in the upper echelons of society. She's an artist, an artist's muse, an actress, a freelance writer, a fashion icon who appears in Vogue and is named one of the best-dressed women in America. So Dorothy Hale is the it girl of Café Society.
0: Now, of course, that all changes with the great stock market crash in 1928, but not so much for these people, uh, including Dorothy. What, what insulates them from the Great Depression?
1: <laughs> Money, uh, either inherited or earned. Dorothy and Claire both marry well and are lucky. They don't lose their fortunes in the stock market crash. And many of the people in their circle, like the Hearst family, have extraordinary wealth. And others have jobs, others like uh, Noguchi the sculptor uh, is are struggling and while Dorothy is insulated from the depression, she sees the changing landscape in New York and has great empathy for the people who are struggling
0: but that does in fact um, support your argument that she wasn't this sort of broken down uh, woman who was you know flat broke and killed herself
1: yeah yeah but there's <laughs> there's so much in the research that it's 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 quite amazing um, but i mean there's there are some things we will never know or, or that i haven't discovered yet but uh but you know when you put all the pieces together it's 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 quite interesting
0: Your novel uh, contains a mix of historical and fictional characters. Um, So as a writer, what do the invented people provide you as an author that historical personages can't?
1: Sometimes it's to fill in a blank, maybe. And, uh, you know, some of the fictional characters have, shall we say, uh, misplaced values and Some lack a moral compass, I mean, I think many of us have met or known people with similar traits. I've read about people from that era with similar traits, and I was glad to have the freedom to write fictional characters who fit that bill. And there's one character, Happy Longhorn, who is as interested as I was to find out what happened to Dorothy, so she serves a special role. Mind you, uh, I am nothing like her. Uh, She took on a personality uh, of her own.
0: Could you describe that a little
1: bit what her personality is Happy Longhorn is uh, she's quite wealthy uh, is completely unrefined and is uh, needs to know everything that's going on what you know who's saying what about who and who's sleeping with who Happy is just uh, she, she's not she doesn't necessarily the gossip or isn't a bad person. She just wants to know. She thinks information is power. And she will do anything, and I I mean anything, uh, to get information.
0: So personally, I much prefer to write fictional characters than historical ones, even though my characters have been dead for like 500 years. I'm still (laughs) (laughs) nervous about saying things about them that, you know, would retrospectively mar their uh, reputations, perhaps, in a way that they don't deserve. Um, Do you have a preference for historical or fictional?
1: I am 100% with you. That is exactly how I feel about it. I, I find it easier to write fictional characters. I mean, with historical figures, I'm very careful about making sure the factual elements and personalities are as accurate as possible. And as you know, when you come across something that's, uh, you know, not the greatest thing in the world, uh, who wants to be the, the one to deliver that to a, a new generation? It, it's, uh, and I had to get comfortable with writing dialogue for Claire because she's famous for her quips and sense of humor. And, you know, that ended up being one of the most enjoyable parts of the process, partly because she didn't edit herself. She and Dorothy are such different personalities in that respect, which made, in, made writing their scenes a lot of fun. So I, I really, I love writing both, but I, like you, I, I do find it easier to write fictional characters. I mean, a great deal of sensitivity uh, for me is needed in writing the historical figures.
0: You must have a lot more material to go on than I do uh, because of the 1920s. I assume that you have newspapers and things like that uh, that you can call on, even film and and uh, yes. radio. Would, yeah, did they... Did, yes. <laughs> my yes. ignorance is yes. showing. Yes. Did they have radio
1: broadcasts? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and she did radio plays. I mean, she was on the radio. But yes, uh, newspapers... Uh, you know, just, there's so much, so much you can get from that time, diaries and personal collections in the Library of Congress, yeah, radio, TV, um, well, the TV, there's videos that come later on, but uh, it was, yes, I just immersed myself in all of that, and as you know, when you're doing research, uh, one, and part of it is instinct, right, because you're reading all this information, and and uh, you end up finding things by just getting curious about one little element, one person, or you could say, how much did that person have to do with this story? And then, you know, it, it, because it's, it's, they were living at that time, and we have their personal collections and correspondence and things like that.
0: You sound like a person who loves the research. I can really relate to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do. That's what drove this whole thing. I just—I got curious. I just wanted to know. <laughs> so,
0: what would you like people to take away from Lady Be Good?
1: What I'd like people to take away is that truth is not defined by black bold print. There may be more to the story, and that Dorothy Hill was a talented, vivacious woman who conquered tests of faith that life delivered. She had an. Extraordinary Life, A Grand Time. And uh, most of all, I'd like people to have a grand time reading it.
0: Great. Uh, this book has just appeared. Uh, are you already working on something else?
1: Yes. I'm, I'm researching a couple of intriguing stories from the 20s and 30s to see which will be the subject of my next book. I mean, I'd, I'd like to live in that world a little longer, and, uh, and I can hardly wait to be writing again. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Pamela. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. And thank you for listening
0: to our podcast. Once again, I am CP Leslie, the host of New Books and Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Pamela Hamilton about Lady Be Good. Find out more about her at pamela PamelaLHamilton.com. That's all one word. Like us on Facebook, search for NB historical fiction and follow us on Twitter at newbookshistfic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can find out more about me and my books at www.cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.